You need only to give the order and my servant will be healed. I know this because I understand authority. There are people who have authority over me and I have soldiers who have following, following roles under me. I tell one to go and he goes. I tell another to come and he comes. I tell my servant do this and he obeys me. When Jesus heard this, he turned to those with him and was amazed. He said to those near him, truly, this man has more faith than anyone I have found even in Israel. Many people will come from the east and the west. These people will sit down to eat with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in God's kingdom. And those who should have the kingdom will be thrown out. They will be thrown outside into the darkness where they will cry and gnash their teeth in pain. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go home, your servant will be healed in the way you believed he would. Right then, the servant was healed. This is the word of God. I want to step back and start with a story before we dig into this text. And this is a story that took place in Tennessee, and it's a story that may have echoes in your own life, depending on who you know and where your own journey has led you. There was a young man, a high school senior named Gavin. Gavin is 18 years old, and he was a track superstar. He could run and jump, leap, maneuver his body in ways that just made him stand out. And his goodness was also a match for his athletic skill. When Gavin was finalizing his initial driver's license, he thoughtfully conversed with his family about becoming a donor, an organ donor. And he made the choice to check that on his driver's license and communicated very clearly with his family that if anything ever happened to him, he wanted to be a full organ donor. At the exact same time, in another part of Tennessee, a woman named Angela was living her life well, she thought, until everything changed. She had a critical heart attack that nearly took her life. As the doctors saved her from death at that point, they notified her that she would need a heart transplant or she would not live very much longer. The problem was, of course, that the list for her transplants was long. The average at that time was a five-year wait. No one knew if Angela would last that long, but they all suspected she would not. Three days following Angela's release from the hospital, she received a call. Three days. A heart was a match for her. A heart was ready to be implanted into her chest. The heart was the heart of Gavin, 
who was in a terrible car accident and was beyond the hope of surviving. Thus, an 18-year-old's athletically strong, good heart was put into the chest of Angela, and she had a new life. That story of organ transplant is remarkable in some ways. And let us never get so hardened to the daily miracles around us that we ever take such a story for granted. And yet, if you've been near transplants before, if you know anyone who has a transplanted organ, you already know this. The way those stories play out is always unexpected. It is a rare thing that we can predict how that goes. There are so many people in need and so few who sign up to donate organs. Everything has to match. And often the miracle of an organ transplant is how distant the two stories are, how one life does not intersect with the other life until they are bonded by the giving of an organ, as with Gavin and Angela. In this scripture, we see a similar story unfolding, certainly not organ transplant, but a grave need that is satisfied by something that is done from a distance. And we see in the centurion's actions during this story several things that we can dig out and grab hold of for our own lives. So let's look at this scripture story again and look at what we can learn from how the centurion responded and conducted himself during this interaction with Jesus. Three points stand out about how he asked for help. First, the centurion asked with incredible humility, incredible and stunning and persistent humility. Reverend Andrew Nelko puts it like this. Humility is the tool that opens up our hearts to truly accept Christ and allows Christ to dwell in our hearts. Humility here with the centurion comes very clearly in the initial seeing of him. We do not see him racing onto the scene, pushing others aside, getting up in Jesus' face and saying, I have a need. I expect you to fulfill it. He does not come in with pride and arrogance. He comes in with humility. He speaks in a gentle way, and he does not demand. He asks. Whether he has an absolute knowledge of miracles that Jesus has performed before or not doesn't change his demeanor. He enters with humility and that humility catches Jesus' attention, for sure. Another way his humility shows, and maybe the biggest thing you noticed, is that the centurion does not want Jesus to come to his house. So if the centurion knows about any of the miracles that Jesus has done to this point, he would know that many of them are a laying, of, laying on of hands, um, a taking of the hand and lifting somebody up, its personal interaction, its touch. And yet the centurion says, I am not good enough for you to come to my home. 
I'm asking you to help me, but I am not good enough for you to come to my house. You've probably heard about refrigerator privileges. You know, that's a saying that we as humans sometimes use that you know you're a good friend, an accepted part of somebody's world when they let you go in your, their refrigerator. Like, picture your refrigerator right now, okay? Would you let everyone in this congregation go and look in your refrigerator, you know, see all your processed food and all of the buntlet cakes there and, you know, or the emptiness of your refrigerator because you tend to order out or eat out or whatever, okay? I'm telling you, I love you and you're not looking in my refrigerator, okay? <laughs> you might immediately decommission me, all right? It might be like, yeah, that lasted for exactly a half of service, and we saw her refrigerator. All right, so the centurion's not saying, Jesus, you can't come to my house because I don't want you to see my refrigerator. He's not saying that, but it's pretty close. I am not good enough for you to come to my house. That is humility. That is powerful humility. And yet, the centurion stands there. And another point with the humility, the centurion would know the baggage of coming as a Roman soldier to this Jewish man named Jesus. He would know that the Romans absolutely considered themselves far better than the Jews. Absolutely. And yet, he comes anyway. He has to come with some, some shame of how the Romans have treated the Jews, some certainty that this is something very few, if any, of his Roman friends would have done. He comes in humility to ask this man, our Savior, Jesus, please heal my servant. So the centurion asks with humility. Secondly, the centurion asks with faith with major faith. The centurion talks to Jesus with an incredible faith that Jesus notices. He's amazed, and he says, I have not seen anyone with greater faith. Pastor Doug Scalise puts it like this. The centurion doesn't need to see anything. All he needs is for Jesus to speak the words and give the command to heal the servant. That is faith. Faith is dictating this conversation. The centurion would not have come if he did not have faith that Jesus can intervene in this situation. And what does that faith look like here? There is a sense, a tone in these words of gratitude and belief. He doesn't question or hmm and ha, he asks, knowing that this can be done. He also doesn't need that concrete evidence. When he says to Jesus, I am not good enough for you to come to my house, he is setting it up that he will not potentially be there for the healing. He is believing that Jesus can use his words for the healing, and he himself at the centurion does not need to be there to see it, to believe it. He is asking without the necessity of concrete proof to back up the healing. He also dwells 
for a few moments on his own personal link to authority. So he situates his request according to his own experience as a centurion. He says, I know that you can just command this to happen. I know it because I know you have authority. I have faith in that authority. And then he parallels his own experience. He says, yep, there are people who are above me, my bosses, and there are people who are below me, those I command. My bosses say to me to do something, and I'm going to do it. And I say to those soldiers and servants below me, do this, come here, accomplish this, go there, and they do it. In telling that story of personal experience with authority, the centurion is proving that he understands what he is asking. He's saying, Jesus, I ask you to heal my servant. I'm not good enough for you to come to my house to do it. I know you can do it anyway, because I know what authority is, and I have faith in your authority. That's amazing faith. That is incredible faith. And this centurion provides that faith in spite of any scorn that he knows he might face for being that Roman asking a Jew for help. So think about it. Somebody, certainly among his compatriots, is going to find out that he went to a Jew for help. He asks anyway. He knows the social risk, who knows, maybe even professional risk, that he is taking in asking a Jew for help. And he does it anyway. His faith is big enough to overcome those potential consequences. So the centurion asks for help in humility. He asks with faith. And thirdly, he asks driven by love. His whole purpose in orchestrating this encounter with Jesus is founded in love. Theologian Brian Evans gives some context about centurions during this time. I didn't know this, but at this time in history, centurions served a 20-year term. 20 years, okay? I don't know if your workplace now or in the past had a contract that you signed, but I would, I would venture to say that you were not committed anywhere for 20 years, except in your marriage, right? And that's a forever one, and we hope that that one is nice and strong. But for work, 20 years, when you sign on as a centurion, you are saying, I am here for 20 years. And it would be a big deal to break that 20 years. But why I'm bringing this up, the other clause with the 20 years was that during those 20 years, centurions could not marry and have children. Zero family, okay? So I am signing on for this job, and I am saying for the next 20 years of my life, I am serving in this role, and I will not marry or have children. You would think that most centurions who would sign on would be fairly young, I don't know, didn't do the research on that to prove it, but I, let's just say they're 20. That means for the sustaining, usually family-building years of their lives, 20 to 40, they are not falling in love, they are not getting married, they are not having children. Okay, so 
in that in the light of that background can you picture the incredible love that drew this centurion to ask for healing for someone who wasn't even a family member can you dwell there just a moment we would move mountains most of us for most of our family members like that's a, not maybe a given in the family structure but it makes a lot of sense this centurion was asking jesus for help for someone who was not in his family it was someone who worked for him he was taking all of those social risks and going so far outside his comfort zone to ask for healing for somebody who was not a family member amazing he was also asking for someone who was in a class below his so this was asking for help and healing for someone who was not an equal to him it was someone below him how often do we feel empathy most most frequently with those who live similar lives to ours and we have disconnect for those who are both way above us and way below in social standing economic status here the centurion loved his servant so much that he was asking for healing for someone outside far outside and below his class and he also is asking on behalf of someone who had no voice right now who is doing this major thing for somebody who cannot speak partly because he is ill and at home and unable to move partly because he is in such a low class that he probably could not have found the courage to ask for healing himself and all of that is because the centurion loves his servant so jesus hears and notices the humility the faith and the love in this conversation how does this parallel to us what does this say for us when we need a miracle or when we need help in general or when we are in a time of transition as heartland community church is right now what if we do are asking for god's intervention with humility with faith and with love what if those are guiding principles that we do not get so desperate in our request that we are sounding arrogant bold intentionally in someone's face what if we step forward in our need with faith believing that even if it seems impossible that it's going to work out that it is not impossible when god is involved nothing is and what if we step forward in those requests with love that we do a check that the request we are asking is motivated by love that we love someone so much that we are willing to ask and be the voice on their behalf and that's again true for a need like a miracle or a daily need or the start of a new season in a church and for so much more 
But remember, the focus, the title of the sermon, and what I set you up with at first was this idea of God's intervention from a distance. So let's look at that as a final thought here. All of my sermon so far has been focused on the centurion, and we are closer in experience to the centurion's world than we are to the world of Jesus, who is the only perfect and loving savior. But what does Jesus do here, and what can we learn from that? Jesus stands in amazement. Jesus recognizes the faith and courage of this man. Jesus notices that those who are like him, the Jews, that some will have heaven and others will come from other angles of belief and experience and dwell in the kingdom because all who believe will be there. And then, my friends, Jesus heals the servant. It's right there at the end. He heals him. Picture them standing on this street corner or in this town square, wherever this conversation took place. There are no steps, no movements toward that home. Nothing. Jesus would be standing on the same turf where his feet were planted when a centurion came up to him. And Jesus heals the servant. He turns to the centurion and says, your servant will be healed as you believed he would. And then we get that last line, and right then he was healed. No touching of hands, no looking or praying over somebody's actual ailing body. Simply the spiritual connection of the power of Jesus reaching across whatever that distance was between the centurion and Jesus and the home where that servant was suffering, reaching across and healing. Jesus did that. He answered with the power that all of them knew he had. And he did it partly because he could, but in part because this centurion approached him with such humility, faith, and love. And Jesus was reminded in that moment that those who belong to the kingdom of God operate in such a way, whether they are Roman, Jew, or otherwise. Jesus healed that servant from a distance, a reminder to us that the answer to the miracles we need, to the daily support we crave, to the answer of who the pastor will be for this church and how this transitional time will look, the answer to those things can be from a distance, from a corner we did not expect, from a source that was not on our radar. And all we have to do, because Jesus made it possible, is to ask with humility and faith and love. Gavin and Angela did not know each other. Gavin was in a car accident Gavin's heart went to Angela three days after her release from the hospital, after her entrance onto the heart transplant list. That's where they intersected. 
except it's not. Because come to find out, way before Gavin's car accident, Angela's daughter, who is a nurse, was driving home from a hospital in Tennessee after a long shift when she came across a motorcycle that had crashed. Being the servant individual she was, she got out of her car, went to the man who was injured in the motorcycle accident, and rendered him medical and emotional and spiritual aid until the ambulance arrived. During the time when Angela's daughter was with the man in the motorcycle accident, they became friendly. And later, they befriended each other on Facebook and stayed in touch. The man who was injured in the motorcycle accident turned out to be Gavin's high school teacher. When Angela had her heart attack, when Angela was put on the transplant list, and when Angela got the notice that a heart was ready for her just three days after all of it, Angela's daughter posted on Facebook, my mama is going to get a heart. And Gavin's high school teacher connected the dots. He knew that the student, Gavin, whom he loved, had just been in a car accident and was being sustained on life support until the organs could be given to those who needed. It was Gavin's teacher who first told Angela's daughter that I think Gavin's heart is going to be put in your mom. From a distance, we do not need to worry about having the answers. My goodness, the God we serve is so much more creative on, and on top of it than we could ever be. In fact, we fall away from the peace and faith and hope that belief should carry when we try to make those pieces fit ourselves. From a distance, Gavin gave a gift to someone who was already connected to him. From a distance, Jesus healed the centurion's servant. And from a distance, God is certainly, creatively, lovingly, awesomely, already aware of how our miracles, our needs, our past or future, all of that is going to work out. So let's walk forward with humility, with faith and love, believing that heartbeat to heartbeat with all our hearts, we know Jesus is already there where we need him. Let's pray. Lord, in the highs and lows of living this life on earth, we sometimes forget to lean on you. And we are so grateful that you do not judge us for that. In all the things we need, please remind us that you are no observer of time and distance. You are the Holy Savior who gives us a reason to believe in sunrises. Thank you. In your name, amen. amen. For the prayers this morning,